this message this morning, I'm going to continue this message next week because next week I'm going to cover some particular texts that we need to look at and see whether these texts are just plucked out of the Bible or whether they are taken out with their contents as God would have them to be. And this is what we want to look at today. My subject this morning, this morning is, can you lose it all? So we are saved by grace, but is it possible to lose it all? And what about a person who commits suicide or commits the same sin over and over again? In Galatians 5, 4, the Bible says this, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So let's look at that again. Because we're going to get the impression that you can lose it all. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. And then Revelation 3.16 says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So once again, we're sort of led to believe that it could be possible to lose it all. Or when you read the Bible, if you go through the epistles that Paul has written, and you come to Colossians, the Bible says, if indeed you continue. And if you go through Corinthians, it says, if you hold fast. So those big ifs. If you continue, if you hold fast, so you're left with the idea that it just might depend upon you if you're going to weather out the storm, whether you're going to be saved or possibly lost. And so we have 40% of the Christians out here who believe that they are once saved, always saved. You have 60% plus, they don't know exactly the figure, but 60% plus that believe that you can lose it all. So it's really confusing to the average Christian. They go through the Bible, they read certain texts, and they wonder, wow, I can lose it. And then they read other texts and say, he will not leave me nor forsaken me. Oh, no, I can't lose it. And so it becomes very confusing and if there is one word that describes the average Christian today, that word would be struggling. Because we struggle to gain peace or to overcome sin. We struggle to live holy lives or to stay in good favor with God. We struggle with marriages. We struggle with children. We struggle with work. It seems like our whole life is nothing but struggling. And so 
in the midst of all that struggling, we wonder, am I safe? Am I really saved forever? Or can I lose it all? This morning, we're going to find out the truth. The Bible says the truth will set us free. So if anything, those of us that are here, we ought to leave this morning with a great deal of freedom because we're going to find out what the truth is. Now, I want to start out with the definition of faith. If you would pick up Young's uh, concordance and you look up faith, you'll find several hundred, several hundred uh, words for or meaning for the word faith. And you're going you're to see every text that has to do with faith, and there's a lot of them. But too many of us have bought into this idea that faith is some kind of power that we develop that would lead us to live successful lives. It would lead us to wealth, as we hear a lot of the TV evangelists say today. And it would lead us to health. So if we had enough faith, we would have it all. We would have wealth. We would have health. We'd have it all. But unfortunately, that's really not what what, health, what, what faith means. So let's see if this definition we can carry through this morning. Faith is man's response to what God has already initiated on your behalf. Okay, let me say it again. Faith is man's response. The way you respond, the way you believe, it is your response to what God has already initiated on your behalf. Now the Bible says that we have already been given a measure of faith. Romans 12:3 As God has allowed it to each a measure of faith. So every one of us have been given a measure of faith. And then Jesus said this, and the Lord said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So, the Lord said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, we've been given a measure of faith. The Jewish, the way that they looked at a measure, the way they explained a measure, was a bushel basket full. You know how many mustard seeds you can get into a bushel basket? It's the smallest seed in the Middle East. You have a bushel basket full of faith. So you have enough faith. But if you read through the Gospels, Jesus said many, many times, it is your faith that has made you whole. The Bible says that we are to walk by faith. And so it boils down to whether we are exercising our faith, whether we really believe our faith, whether we're exercising it. 
And that is the bottom line. So when you read Corinthians, the Bible says that we walk by faith. When you read Galatians, it says that we live by faith in the Son of God. In Romans, the Bible says the just, that's you and I, the just shall live by faith. So faith is man's responding to what God has already initiated on your behalf. The question we need to ask ourselves, is there enough evidence in the scripture that lead us to believe that we cannot lose our salvation? So we're going to go to John 10, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I will give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So let's look at this seriously, because we are his sheep. We have heard his voice. In other words, whatever, whatever situation we were in, we all have a story on how Jesus came to us, and he initiated, he, he initiated his response to us. He knocked on our door of our heart, and whether we understood everything or not, the little understanding we had, we said yes. Now, I know my personal testimony was, I didn't know whether I believed God, believed in God or not. And so I said, I had been drinking that night, flipped my car over there in the ditch, and I looked up, and the only thing I could see was the sky. And I said, God, I don't know if it's true about you. I don't know if you're out there, but if you are, I need help. And 23 days later, I was baptized a Christian. So he heard my prayer. It wasn't much of a prayer, really. But he heard it. He responded. Every one of us here have a testimony. Whether you've been brought up in the church or whether you came in later in life. My sons, they were all brought up Christians. They have their own personal testimony. We all have a testimony how God came searching for us. He initiated it, and we responded. And that's what happens to every single individual that accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Master of their life. Now, do they understand everything that they did when they said yes to Christ? No. No, they didn't. The Bible says here, that my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. and No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The sheep here belong to both the Father and the Son. But when you read the scripture, the Bible says the Father gave us to the Son. He gave us to the Son. So he came knocking on our door. We responded 
Christ welcomed us into the family of God, and we are saved forever, forever. Now, I know what the other side, what their objection to it is. They say, well, all those promises are, are true. They, they say that, yeah, no one can snatch you out of God's hand. Except the only way that you can be lost is by your voluntary choice. And I preached that for 15 years. I preached half of the gospel. Thank God it only takes half of a gospel to save somebody. But it takes the full gospel to live out what Jesus said. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It takes the full gospel to give us the abundant life in Christ. Now, this is what happens, whether you understand it or not, when you came to Christ. Whether you were eight or whether you're 80, it doesn't make any difference. The same thing happens to every single one of us. I didn't understand it when I gave my life to Christ. I didn't understand that God would perform a surgery on me that he would open up my heart and take out that heart of stone and give me a new human heart. I didn't understand that part of it. Then he would give me a new human spirit. I was in Adam, and now he would make me in him, in Christ. So he took that out, gave me a new heart, gave me a new spirit. And now I found that my desires would be God's desires. Now this is how it unfolded in my life. I didn't understand that part. I thought that I had to just live up to my part. And what was my part? My part was to live for Christ. I wanted God. I wanted his acceptance. I didn't really fully realize that I had it. I knew that I was born again because of what was changing in my mind. But I did not understand what he actually did. He gave me a new heart. And along with that new heart, came new desires. I have never met a born-again Christian in my life who didn't have a good heart. Now, I knew a lot, and I was one of them that tried to mix law and grace. I, I know what that's like. And it gives us, it gave me some insecurities about my relationship with God. I didn't realize that he loved me just the way that I was. I heard that said, but I often thought to myself, there's something wrong with me. All these thoughts going through my head. 
there's got to be something wrong with me. And I didn't realize that at my core, I was rock solid with God. Rock solid. And when Paul says that there is a process of renewing your mind, it's getting what is here up here. It's not getting what's here down here. It's getting what you already have. When you accepted Christ, you have a new heart. You have new desires. It's getting that up here. It's called the renewing of the mind. So let's see if this isn't true with you. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So let's look at this as exactly the way God gave it to us. After listening to the message of truth. What is truth? After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The gospel is referred to as good news. When you've heard the good news, then having believed the good news, you were sealed in him by the Holy Spirit, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. What is our inheritance? Eternal life is our inheritance. So he has given to us a pledge of, his, of, of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, that's pretty convincing. That you were sealed unto the day of redemption once you said yes to Christ, whether you understood it fully or not. In 1 John 5, 13, it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It doesn't say that so you may wish and hope that you have eternal life. It simply says that you will know that you have eternal life. How do we know it? Well, the Bible is pretty plain. And I would think that Romans eleven twenty nine would seal it for everybody. For the gifts... And the calling of God are irrevocable. I mean, you would think that that sentence in itself would settle the question about once saved, always saved. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And then he says in Hebrews, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Well, we read that text, we love that text, but do we believe that text? Do we believe that sin can keep us out of heaven? I will never desert you. Is God lying or is he telling us the truth? He's telling us the truth. That he will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. 
Now, I know the answer because I used to give it. I know the answer to the other side. The other side would say, that's true. God will never leave you nor forsake you. But you, because you have free will, you can leave God. And you can forsake God. He won't do that to you, but you can do that. You have free will so that you can, you can desert God. And how many of us have heard stories of people in the church? They say, you know, he was a really wonderful Christian man or a wonderful Christian woman. And then he got discouraged and then he left. And now he won't have anything to do with God. And now he's an atheist. And all of that, all of that can be true. If you're not born again, it can be true. For Paul tells us, gives us an example of people who came into the church all for all the wrong reasons, and they left. But they were never born again. Because if you're born again, it is impossible to get unreborn. You can't do it. It's impossible. So the Bible says in Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The reason that text is there is to give us the assurance that everything is okay. You never have to worry. That you are saved forever. Now keep in mind when Paul wrote the epistles, he told us about a variety of people, of different, I mean, a variety of people who were at different stages when they were experiencing and accepting the gospel. I myself have gone through that. Last week, I had the opportunity to visit with a farmer and his wife, and they were in the church for most of their life. And they believed in once saved, always saved. They believed that they were saved. And when we went through, they asked me some questions, and so I, it got into about the exchange life in Christ. Um, and we exchange our life for the life of Christ. And when I got done explaining it, he said to, to me, he says, I, I've never heard that. I've never heard that. And I said to him, I know exactly what you're going through because as a preacher, when I heard it, I fought the same thing that these early Jewish Christians fought in Galatians. I identify with them because when they heard this thing, they said to themselves, this is too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. They said, and, and, and these converted Jews were trying to tell the Galatian, the Galatian were Gentiles. They were trying to tell them, all of this grace business is good. It's good. But we need some sort of guidelines so we know how to act. Now, 
Paul told the Jewish Christians, do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Some have flirted with the idea that salvation by grace through faith was good, but too good to be true. And so they chose to seek rightness with God through keeping the law. And I can remember when I was struggling through this as a preacher, reading through Romans, thinking, what in the world? Is this all true? Then reading through Ephesians, is this all true? Are you really sealed unto the day of redemption when you accept him? And I struggled with that, and yet I made a conscious choice to mix law and grace. And so I, a couple of months ago, I went back and I looked at the evangelistic, uh, I was an evangelist, the evangelistic uh, sermon that I, I made on law and grace. And I thought to myself, how could I? How could I have said those things? But at that time, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand how wonderful and gracious God really was. So Galatians 5, verse 4, it says this, And you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. And the Bible says, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So I want you to see the difference between the you and the we. Because Paul is saying, you, those of you who have bought into what the Judaizers were trying to tell you, that you can actually mix law and grace, you're going to find that it's impossible. The we are those in Christ and grace alone and not by the works of the law. In Galatians 5.3, the Bible says this, And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Now at that time I was preaching that yes, it's true, the ceremonial laws were done away with. The civil laws that the Jewish people had were done away. All 603 were done away. But there remained the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. And clearly, as you read Galatians, you'll find that they did not understand these Judaizers these Christian Jews, they did not understand the truth of the gospel. They only had part of the gospel. And they had no idea how to get right with God and stay right. Whenever we hear fallen from grace, we think of somebody who was a believer and was doing okay. And then one day they got into a moral failure. And there's some fellowships that call them backsliders. 
He backslid. She backslid. There is no such thing in the Bible as a backslider. I mean, where do you backslide to? Well, you backslide to the law, I guess. That's the only other place you can go. And yet, there are many who have come to that realization that they feel that that's what falling from grace means. But it's not according to Galatians. Galatians, falling from grace means falling away of the message of the gospel into and towards the law. So that's what's meant in the Bible whenever you see fallen from grace, and you won't see it, but one or two texts, falling from grace. It wasn't believers. It was those who were entertaining the thought of becoming believers. Here's the issue in Galatians. Who are the true people of God? Is it Israel or is it the church? Israel or the church? And how should we govern our lives? By obeying Moses or by the Spirit? The converted Jews questioned Paul's view of Christian ethics and they wondered if the Spirit was enough for moral guidance. And I went through that very same thing. And I was wondering, at that time, I, was, I knew that there was something wrong with what I was preaching. I knew that from my heart, that there was something wrong with it. And I thought to myself, what does grace really mean? And I was going through all these issues, and when I read Galatians, and I was reading what Paul was telling the Galatians and warning them, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Why have you gone back to the keeping of the law? And while some of us feel that we needed more than just the Spirit, what we were saying is, and unconsciously, I would have never said it publicly, that Christ is not enough, that the Holy Spirit is not enough. No, we need some sort of guidelines, and there's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments, is there? I mean, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. I mean, there's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, Paul says that law, those Ten Commandments, are holy, just, and good. That's what Paul says they are. So who are we to say anything different? They are holy, just, and good. The Ten Commandments were given to us to lead us to Christ. Once we found Christ, Christ living in us, the Holy Spirit occupying our hearts, is enough. No longer do we need any other guidelines. We've got everything that we need to be complete in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, 
guiding us, leading us every step of the way. We receive it through grace. Now, this is a text that very few people preach about anymore. And this is found in Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. So what does the Bible say? It was because of the grace of God, it would open the door to all men. The whole issue in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the God who created the heavens and the earth and all that in them is? Or are you going to worship pagan gods? That's the issue. The Jewish people knew that they were God's chosen people. Nobody had to tell them. They knew it. And everybody else was a Gentile. And they were lost. And when grace appeared, salvation became available to all men. All men. And then the Bible says, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So, what does grace do? It instructs us, instructing us to deny ungodliness. What does grace do? It changes our desires in our heart. What does God do? It tells us how to act righteously. That's what the grace of God does, and that's what the law could never do. It could never do it. So, here we have it. It's pretty plain. Titus tells us exactly what it is. It is the grace of God that you can know that you're saved. What causes a person to sin less? It's certainly not the law. It's grace. Grace will cause you to sin less. Now, how does that work? Okay, I'm saved by grace, and now I'm going to sin less. How does that work? It's believing what God says is true. Notice what he says here in 2 Peter 1.4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. I mean, those are the promises that God has given to us, and there's thousands of them in the Bible, are precious and magnificent promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I mean, how much more magnificent can that be? I will be with you always, even to the end. Even to the very end. It says here, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature have escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Here's the key to our whole existence. We become partakers of God's nature. So our desires 
become more and more like God's desires. You are a partaker of God's nature. The Bible says that you are a new creation. Well, are you? Yes, God is not a liar. You are a new creation. You have a new heart. Do you really have, really, really have a new heart? Yes. Otherwise, God's a liar and God does not lie. You have this new heart. You are born again. You wouldn't be saved if it weren't for once saved, always saved. It just wouldn't be true. You see, real salvation is not temporary. You don't get real salvation, get a change of heart, get a new human spirit. You don't get all of these and then a month later you decide, no, no, I don't want these things. No. Your desires are God's desires. I remember when I first gave my life to Christ. I wanted to do something. I wanted to do something for God because I wanted to be pleasing to God. I didn't realize that I was already pleasing to God. I was already pleasing to God. I thought that I had to prove myself. Just like these Jewish converts. They said, it's too, it's too easy. If it's just grace and grace alone, no, it's too easy. What do you suppose people, what do you think they hear when they hear me speak about total forgiveness? When I stand up in front and tell people that their next week's sins, their next month's sins, their next year's sins are already forgiven. Whether they confess them or not has nothing to do with forgiveness. Confession has nothing to do with forgiveness. It's the blood that forgives. They think, well, well, when they hear that, they think, that's terrible. I mean, what is to prevent people from not sinning then? I've had, I remember years ago, people... <laughs> A lady said to me, was shaking hands out the door. She says, Pastor, she says, I'm afraid you give license to sin. And I said, well, I said, I think everybody's doing just fine without a license. And that's true. I find that the more you are under the law, the more judgmental you become. And that's what the law does. You become very judgmental about other Christians, whether they believe the same as you or not. We are all one body in Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. That when you said yes to Christ, you were welcome into the family of God. And that family of God is represented out here around the world with over 300 different denominations right here in this country. But we're all part of one family. Maybe there's some things that we didn't understand. I was a part of the family and I didn't understand grace completely. I thought I did, but I didn't. How can I say once saved, you're saved forever? Well, I would like to think that I can say that because of the Bible. 
The Bible says in Romans 8.35, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? And then the Bible says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, some of the most common questions that are asked by those who feel that you can lose your salvation. What about if I commit suicide? Or what about if I get a divorce? Or what if I commit the same sin over and over again? The Bible tells us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Now, we hear about agape love. Agape love is God's love. What is the definition of agape love? It is unconditional love. Hello? Unconditional love. I had a very close friend up in northern Virginia. He came to my home for nine years. We had Bible study in my home. And I was pastoring a church up there. And um, he met this beautiful young lady. And she was a beautiful Christian. And he wanted so much when he first met her for me to meet her. And so he brought her over to the house. And my wife and I welcomed her into the family. She was just a wonderful, beautiful Christian. And when I got to know her, I found out that she had some trouble with uh, depression. Now... I didn't really understand depression because unless I was in denial, I, I never knew what really depression was. But my wife suffered from it occasionally. And I didn't understand it. And so I thought the thing that I should do is just to remind her of all the wonderful things that God says is true. And that really didn't help. And I found out that it really doesn't help people that, are, that go through depression. They want you to get in the mud with them. They don't want you to just quote all these other things and tell, tell them that this is what you should be. You should be like me or you, you should be like what the Bible says. Depression is a real thing. And sometimes they found out that it's a chemical imbalance. And so they go to the doctors and they get some prescription, and it helps them. I know that it helped my wife. Well, this beautiful young lady, she got up, her and they got married, her and, and, uh, her, and her husband got up one morning, and he said, okay, let's go to church. And she said, oh, she says, you go ahead and go. She said, I'm just not feeling good. So he went, and while he was gone, she committed suicide. A beautiful young Christian woman. As good as Christian as I have met. Who understood the gospel, but sort of 
whether it was chemically induced or whatever it was, it sort of took over and she did something that she would not normally have done. Who can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can. Nagapi love is, that love is unconditional. And when we said yes to Christ, he welcomed us into the family, and his love is unconditional. It's not based on how well you perform. It's not based on anything that you can do. It's based on what he has already done. Faith, faith is accepting and believing everything that God has already initiated on your behalf. And he says to you and to me in Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering, he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. Now, here's what happened when you said yes to Christ. The Bible says that you were sanctified. You were set apart for holy use. Now, you may not understood it. I didn't. You may not understood it when it all happened to you, when you were nine or when you were uh, 90. It doesn't make any difference. For one offering... He has perfected for all those who are sanctified. There is a process in sanctification. And it will last a lifetime. As long as you have that body and you are on planet earth, that process of sanctification is working in you. James says that everyone will stumble. Listen. All the years that I have been a Christian, I have heard people say, and I was listening to one of the songs that, I, in fact, every week I listen to some of the songs that my wife recorded. She made six records. I listen to those as I go home. And um, on prayer meeting, I listen to those as I go home. And uh, some of the songs that she said that she sang and recorded has to do with the love of God. And I remember that just two days before she passed away, she asked me if I would go through everything about salvation. I said, sure. And so I went through all the texts, and then I came to Ephesians, and I said, uh, Judy, I said, listen to this. You listened and you believed and you were just about nine years old. You listened and you believed and God sealed you unto the day of redemption. He sealed you. I said, now, you're going to close your eyes and you're going to fall asleep and then the next time you wake up, you're going to see the Lord. I says, I'll be following you. I just don't know when. But I says, I'll be following you. It happens to all of us. 
And after I got done through, through everything, she says, oh, she says, it is true, isn't it? I says, indeed it is. I said, you are going through exactly what Jesus went through on the cross. Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? I said, it's, it's just normal that all of us, all of us would have some doubts at times. We would have struggles all the time, it seems like. Certain struggles, everybody's different. We will stumble, some of us will stumble. And I've done my share of stumbling, so we'll stumble. But yet we're safe and secure in Christ. He will never leave us nor forsake us. If Jesus Christ were to come today, you are heaven ready. You are ready. There's no such thing as getting ready for Jesus to come. You are ready. And Peter says that you'll probably be stumbling. You'll probably be struggling when he comes. But you are heaven ready. And every one of us are. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, the Bible says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. There is freedom. There's freedom in Christ. We have all the assurance that we need. Do you see it? The love of God is unconditional love. There is no love like that. Only God has unconditional love. And you and me, we're right in the center of that love. We're safe. We are secure. We have Christ on our side. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, encouraging us, Showing us that what is right. Pleading with us to trust him. If we don't realize that the purpose of the Bible is to point us to Christ, then we will see our do's and our don'ts. And God does not want us to see those. He wants us to see who we are. All of us are a child of God. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We're thankful that we can trust you. We're thankful that we have confidence that what you said is true. And we exercise our faith by believing it. And right now we believe what you have told us that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you will be with us all the way to the very end. And we praise you and thank you for that. Bless each one of us now. As we take in that truth and we trust that you will do what you said you would do, for we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.